On today's episode, we're talking about Lil Buddy Bill Simmons and the first team, Jalen Green, and we're doing a season recap, including grades for the young core of your Houston Rockets are double. Welcome to State of the Rockets, the premier Houston Rockets podcast. My name is Roosh Williams. I'm one of your hosts. I am also host of the Noble and Roosh Show, which is an NBA podcast hosted and presented by Ball is Life. Uh, we interview NBA players, beat writers, things of that nature. You can you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, whatever. Uh, and we're putting we're putting videos up on YouTube, actually on this channel, if you're one of our YouTube viewers. So check that out. Um, and coming live from the Jackson Gatlin bachelor pad, it is none other than the bachelor pad swanked out with a brand new Vernon Maxwell Jersey. It's up on the wall. It's actually incredible. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the nice autograph signed by Mad Max himself right behind me, the just glorious number 11, but I am also one of your hosts here for State of the Rockets, Jackson Gatlin. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Gatlin. I also host Locked on Rockets, your five-day-a-week coverage of the Houston Rockets. I also host Locked on NBA every single Monday, and I'm the founder of ClutchCityControlRoom.com. All Houston, all hoops. Roosh, we got a lot to talk about today, don't we? We sure do. Uh, little buddy Bill Simmons was popping off on the tweets, on the Twitters, and, you know, it caught a lot of people's attention. There were some different opinions on it. So if you aren't already aware, which I'm sure you are, but if you aren't, um, Bill Simmons had a podcast and he had Big Waz, Wozni Lambry, Lambry, I don't know how to say his name, um, and then Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer, right? Had them on there and they were talking about all sorts of things and started talking about Herb Jones, I think, at, at one point. And by the way, I've heard you call him Herb. I call him Herb, silent H. I don't know what it is, but well, I, do, I don't think his name is Herbert Jones. So we're, uh, I guess we can, point. I guess we can roll with Herbert Jones. That's fine. If you want to Herbert's kind of fly. Um, so anyways, the, the, the premise of, you know, the whole argument or whatever was that Bill Simmons said, fuck Jalen green. Um, he said, I don't care if he scores 40 points. And he, he, you know, said he would prefer Herb. Herbert Jones over him um, for whatever the all first team, all rookie, right? I don't know if he exactly said first team, all rookie, but the debate basically became, Hey, you know, Herbert Jones for that fifth slot. Cause everyone presumes Franz Wagner, Scotty Barnes, Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley will make the team. So that fifth spot is the one that's like up for up for grabs between Jalen green, Herbert Jones, um, Josh Giddy. Those are probably the three. And, and so a lot of people took offense to it. A lot of Rockets fans took offense to it. I personally thought it was weird. I'll start by saying I saw people not defending Bill Simmons, but basically saying, hey, guys, he was saying it in jest. Like, let's not blow this up to be something you know bigger than it is. This is nothing. And on one hand, I, I agree with that, right? Like, he was just like, ah, fuck Jalen Green, you know, like, whatever. I don't care, but I'm taking Herb Jones, right? So I get that. I get that, you know? And, and, and to some degree, I think we should definitely restore – just being able to like casually and freely talk, you know, like not policing every single thing someone's saying in some crazy way, just, just because you took it the wrong way. However, the flip side of that argument is, yo, number one, first, first, (laughs) first and foremost, 
We're um, never going to escape the first and foremost. We're going to find a way to sneak first and foremost into every single episode from here on out. It's going to happen. And every single time it happens, we're both going to cut up the moment it does. It's such a it's such a versatile yet necessary phrase. And it's so perfect for introducing a thought. But first and foremost, he already had had made some like weird comments about Jalen Green, right? Uh, before the draft, everyone, I think everyone knows, you know, he said the first four or five guys, meaning Scotty, Jalen Suggs, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley. He said something to the effect of they seem like, you know, we, we guys, as in like team. And Jalen Green seems like the only I, me, you know, there's no I in team, that kind of player, which is, which, you know, I guess he's evaluating prospects and that's what he sees. If he was an actual, actually talented talent evaluator, maybe I would give him more credit there. But he's like, he's just a guy that like just looks at people and says, eh, I don't like that, you know? So he's obviously looking at Jalen Green and just making like a judgment, right? Um, so that's that's for starters, first and foremost. We should make that a segment. But second, um, is he talking about any other rookie like that? You know what I mean? And that's the, that's kind of the distinguishing thing for me. That's one of them. Is I only hear him talking about Jalen Green like that. I don't hear him saying F anybody else, right? And then, in addition to that, furthermore, um, he's, a, he's an actual voter for the award. He is actually a voter. So... He needs to understand the responsibility that comes with that role when you're talking about the people you're voting about. You just say, fuck one of them that is unprofessional at best, immature at best, you know, and it's much worse than that at its worst. So that that all of that put together for me is just like, yo, I get the jokes, but it kind of just contributes to the whole idea that, you know, people... It's like the Harden thing. They were like, I hate watching him play, you know, but okay, but he's good, but you hate watching him play. So that's like why we're going to bash him. It just feels like that. It just feels like a very subjective thing. Now, Jaylen, does Jalen Green deserve to be first team over Herb Jones? I think so. Um, and I'll wrap this up because I've been going for a minute. I had to get that rant out, but I think so. Um, he scores. He scored almost two times as many points for the season as Herb. I think Herb had like nine something points. Jalen had 17 a game. He, he's efficient on high volume. Herb Jones is efficient, but on much less volume. And listen, when you're asked to play a role, if Jalen had one role and it was didn't require putting the ball in the bucket, it just required all-out defense, if that's the guy he was, given his work ethic and what we know about him, I think he would do that. But we asked him, like Herb Jones is sitting there playing a role, right? And he's able to, to play alongside Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum creating. Even You could even go up to guys like, Scotty Barnes, I'm not going to extend this argument to them all the way, but circumstantially, Scotty Barnes has Van Vliet, Siakam. Um, Cade was doing all the creating, which is why, personally, he would be my rookie of the year. And then Mobley, you know, next to Jared Allen, shoring them up defensively. Cleveland had, like, the 21st. uh, They were 21st, I think, in defensive ratings since Jared Allen went down. You know, so injuries impacted those guys as well, right? Because he's, like, playing around people. But but the Rockets... And they're, they're able to play next to those guys while they create the advantage. And these guys are mostly playing a role in flashing, um, you know, in terms of being a number one option on certain nights. Jalen, the Rockets were asking Jalen to create the advantage. So the role that they're taking on, like you can feed off of someone else creating the advantage and do what you do and really shine and, and play to your strengths and, and be Herb Jones. Herb Jones is a great player, incredible defensive player. We saw it in the play in the other night, um, capable shooter. We, we've seen these things, right? But he's playing off of someone else creating the advantage. 
Jalen Green was creating the advantage for the Rockets. He was the guy. And what comes with that when you're able to do that efficiently and when you're able to break or match scoring rookie scoring records and be mentioned with the Allen Iversons of the world and the Michael Jordans of the world, I don't see that for Herb Jones, right? So that's, for me, that's the difference. And that's why I think it's just disrespectful. It's like, yo, why are we diminishing how amazing this kid was instead of being, you know, gleeful about it as, as Hoops fans? So sorry had to rant that but do, do you feel mic. a little better after getting some of that off your chest <laughs> yeah i tried to keep it mild i, I don't i don't want to like go at bill simmons but it's just we, like it's just disrespectful if i was jalen green and he even t- jalen tweeted about it he said it is what it is like it obviously got to him to some degree if i'm jalen green and i just ended the rookie season like that and then i got to turn around and not only realize like oh i think i'm about to get snubbed for first team and then guys like matt HP basketball who initially said he had Jalen green, not even on the second team until I presented an argument and he changed his mind. That's got to hurt, you know? And so, and, and then on top of that to say F the kid, whether it's in jest or not, it's like, yo, when someone's in authority, when someone is an authority and they are in charge of something with respect to who they're talking about, if it's a politician, if it's like a teacher on the board or something, you know, it just a principal at the school saying, Hey, fuck Johnny, you know, Johnny's like, what the fuck? We, <laughs> what, you know, so poor little Johnny Appleseed catching strays over here, man. What happened? You know? But but what are your thoughts? Please take, take over. Oh, I think, and I, this is where I come, come away thinking first off is first and foremost, I, I almost, I caught myself. There we go. But the whole situation regarding Bill Simmons, right? And this, you know, like flash in the pan, like takeaway, right? I get it. You know, he was just kind of trying to have that, you know, his, his whole podcast, his whole show, the demeanor, right? It's kind of that like water cooler, just like, you know, shooting the shit with the guys type thing. So it wasn't meant like a serious, like, no, fuck Jalen Green. It was like, ah, fuck Jalen Green. I get that. Sure. That said, from the angle that you already cover with the, you know, him being a vote haver when it comes to these awards, these awards that impact players' careers have like bonuses and stuff tied into them. Like either you do away with bonuses and stuff of that nature being tied into some of these awards, or you better carefully vet the guys who have the votes and make sure that there's not somebody with a predisposed like hate boner for the entire city of Houston, because that's exactly what Bill Simmons is. This is like a repeated thing with Bill Simmons that dates back like years. So he's already predisposed to hating the city of Houston and and doesn't want to give Jalen Green his flowers because again, he's playing for the Houston Rockets. So why would he give Jalen Green his flowers? But in all this, I am frustrated and upset that uh, the biggest thing for me is that People who do prefer Herb Jones, Herb Jones, as as a player to Jalen Green, right? because they they want to, they prefer the defense, they prefer the you know the impactful winning basketball, whatever you want to throw on it, whatever buzzwords you want to use. It feels like a lot of people are using Herb Jones to prop up anti-Jalen Green agenda. And that's where I kind of draw the line. You can prop up your guy. If you think Herb Jones is the rightful like heir to that number one spot, you know, the, the final spot on the all-rookie first team, bet. That's fine. Make the basis on their level of play. Don't make it about win-loss because, again, basing anything off win-loss for rookies is one of the dumbest, like most brain-dead arguments that I've ever heard in my life. So there's that. And, and what, like, where did that come from? When suddenly has win-loss ever mattered for a rookie? Make it about the defense. Even though I still think that's a crap argument that you would take Herb Jones and what he provides you defensively over Jalen Green and how electric he has been offensively and just the all-around package that he has as a rookie player. Nobody's trying to build a team around Herb Jones is the problem, right? Like, he is an ancillary piece. Evan Mobley is arguably an ancillary piece. Even Scotty Barnes, right? They are role players essentially being asked to fulfill a niche role on their team 
while the star players are delivering for the actual team. So if you put Jalen in a situation where he had a couple all-stars that he was able to feed off of, like you mentioned, yeah, things would probably look a little bit different. If you stuck Herb Jones on the Rockets right now in place of Jalen Green, worst team in the association. One, Herb Jones is not elevating the Rockets any further. Like, in fact, they maybe get worse with Herb Jones in place of Jalen Green. Two, nobody's going to be talking about him because the NBA is such a narrative-driven league that at the end of the day, people love a good feel-good story, right? And the Pelicans are kind of a feel-good story this season, right? They've dealt with all this drama with Zion. Is he gone? Is he going to stay? Will he play? How big is he now? Like all this crap that they're dealing with, right? And so now they have a feel-good story. They pick up CJ McCollum. They start racking together some wins. They make a push for the play-in. Oh my God, they're in the play-in. What's happening? You know, Jose Alvarado's incredible. Grand Theft Alvarado, one of the best nicknames in the NBA, by the way. I love everything the Pelicans are doing. That's amazing. I just, that's the first time I heard that. Grand Theft Alvarado. Oh, dude, it's so great. It's absolutely that's amazing. That wow. is an all, that's an all-timer right there. And Herb Jones has had an impressive season. Like, Herb Jones has been fantastic. He should be rightfully getting some all-NBA defensive team votes as a rookie. That doesn't happen often. But to then come in and have these arguments about, oh, well, he's in a winning situation. He's actually contributing to a winning basketball team. Like, all this. Those are half-baked arguments that can be, like, again, derailed within five seconds. So at the end of the day, I think it's stupid that we're trying to, that we have to kind of, you know, talk down about another player to prop up one guy. If your argument is Herb Jones is the better player and deserves the all-rookie first-team selection because he's a better defender, he brings more to the table, all of that, fine. I still think it's a faulty argument, but I can live with that. What I can't live with is the other, like, goalpost-shifting arguments that Simmons and others have included in this basis of, like, oh, well, win-loss matters, and, like, he's playing for a team that's winning. I mean, LeBron didn't drag his team his rookie season to the playoffs. Do we condemn him for that? Kevin Durant's team was atrocious his rookie season. Do we condemn him for that? No. These are like all-time Hall of Fame players. And the way that Jalen Green closed out this season and the way that he's played throughout the season, realistically, ever since coming back from his hamstring injury, he's been phenomenal in about 49 games on great efficiency. He looks like a future like superstar. So how can you deny him for that? How can you try and say, oh, well, he was crap for two-thirds of the season? Makes zero sense. Like, the arguments are just, frankly, pretty brain dead. And my last silver bullet here is that Bill, Bill Simmons is basically the podcast equivalent of Herb Jones. You put some all-stars around him, and he looks really damn good, but you put him by himself up on a pedestal, he wouldn't do jack shit. There we go. <sighs> wow. Ooh. My All goodness. Right. Doom, doom, fuck Jay-Z. That's Ether. So I'll say this, okay? First and foremost, um, they're going to, if there are any non-Rockets fans on here, specifically if there are Raptors and Cavs fans, they're going to come at you for calling Barnes and Mobley roles, role players. But but I, I don't disagree with you. I'm not saying they're role players, but they just play with so much more talent, which begets my second point. I, 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 if I can, and you know, in yeah. the moment, if I called them role players, that's not exactly what I was going. Right, they're filling the 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 niche of like an ancillary piece right now. Right, they aren't tasked with being the number one option for either of their respective teams. And if any, if any Raptors or Cavs fans take exception to that, then they need to wake, wake up because they're not right. Evan Mobley is not tasked with shouldering the offensive load for the Cavs, right? He's second or third option offensively at best for that Cavs team. And then same thing for Scotty Barnes, right? He's like third or fourth option offensively. He, those guys are tasked with playing 
extremely good defense, rebounding hard, like doing these extra things, that, winning things, things that you need for to be a winning team. And they've contributed to winning basketball. That's why those guys are neck and neck right there for rookie of the year alongside Cade Cunningham. Absolutely. I will sing their praises to the end of the earth. That said, it's a very different dynamic than what Cade is being tasked to do, or Jalen Green is being tasked to do, or even Jalen Suggs being tasked to do in Orlando, right? There's very different dynamics at play for these rookies. And I do think that you have to look at them in their respective light to say, oh, well, this player has these advantages because he's not being tasked with doing X, Y, Z like this other rookie is. It's just context. Right. And so, and that begets my, my, my second point, which was going to be, um, if you have more talent, okay, it's much easier to hide your weaknesses, right? Not to put any of those other players down, but they're playing next to like all-stars. Brandon Ingram, wasn't he an all-star this season? Am I tripping? He was CJ McCollum surprisingly, right? That was, that was the wildest thing. (laughs) CJ has never been an all-star, but I mean, who gives a shit? He performs on that level. Right. And we saw it the other night, right? Um, Who's the other one? Evan Mobley next to Jared Allen and Darius Garland. Um, And they have a ton of other talent on that team as well. Scotty Barnes, Siakam. I think Fred Van Vliet was an all-star at one point, but even if he wasn't, you know, they're bona fide like ball players do champions. You know, they've been there. They've done that. So it's just who's, I mean, Jalen Green best, player he's played with is Eric Gordon and no disrespect to Eric Gordon, but I mean, there's levels to this, right? And so that's just a totally different kind of comparison. And so when people talk about the Herb Jones stuff, it's like, they're like, Oh, why are you hating on? I'm not hating on Herb Jones. Dude. He's a, he's a, a great player. I would love Herb Jones on the Rockets. He, he plays great defense, versatile, six, seven long, not in place of Jalen green, but not in yeah. place of Jay, Yeah. Yeah. Don't take me out of context, not in place of Jalen green, but, um, but you know, of course he's going to impact winning because when you add his skill set to what they've already got in place, you could start winning ball games. Jalen Green is the the Rockets' version of what they're trying to put into place, right? Jalen Green is their equivalent of one half of McCollum and Brandon Ingram, right? So it's like it's just the scale is totally different, and that's what that's what's just so weird to me. And it also, like you said, it's goalpost shifting, right? They're just sitting there making up arguments to to all of a sudden, like at the end of the day, the game is about putting the ball in the bucket, right? As simple as that sounds. It's also about defense, but first and foremost and primary, primarily comes, uh, I, I'm not even trying to do it at this point. It's just like happening. Um, comes putting is the it, ball. In the, is it happening organically? Is that what you're trying to say? Oh God. Oh my goodness. That was good. Um, <laughs> so, but it's about putting the ball in the bucket. That's what this game is about. And premier bucket getters and premier scores have always been you know, very highly valued top of the draft. You want, if you're one of the worst teams in the league, which by the way, don't forget winning is not a part of like the all rookie team. I think clutch fans said this on Twitter. I didn't fact check it, but he said the average age of last year's first team rookie class was 20. I'm sorry. The average age, the average amount of wins of the teams that the, that made up the first team all rookie last year was 22 wins. They averaged 22 wins. And you know why? Because winning is not, relevant in the rookie of the year race when it comes to these awards statistics are very relevant quite frankly right uh mvps on a different level that the discussion for that's different but you're not going to win most improved unless you're putting up the numbers to win most improved right you're not going to win sixth man unless you're putting up the numbers to win sixth man right uh, defensive player of the year that's different but rookie of the year right like you don't win rookie of the year without having the bona fide numbers right if Cade was averaging like 14 three and three like I don't think he'd even be in the running, right? But he's averaging 17, 6, and 6, or 17, 5, and 6, or whatever it is. So he's very firmly in the running. He still might not win it. But the point is, 
Um, and then people want to take away what Jalen Green did. Like they're, you know, they're showing themselves by saying, oh, he had a terrible half of the season. And if you go look at the numbers, like I was arguing with Sam Vecini on Twitter, and he was saying uh, he had a 16-game stretch where he was terrible after he came out from the injury. And I said, nah, man, if you look at it, the first eight, he was balling. And then the subsequent eight after that, he shit the bed. So it's those those eight games really stood out. But if you look at the numbers and the averages for the first eight games, they were good, like pretty pretty good. They weren't the superstar performance that he had at the end of the season, but they were good. And so it just kind of shows that people really – are like tilting the way that they're arguing this whole thing. And when you're using net rating and plus minus to argue about first team all rookie, you respectfully have to shut that shit up. Okay. Because we got a guy here dropping, averaging 21 something and three and three on incredible efficiency for like a long stretch doing it for real. Um, and you're going to tell me that, you know, Oh, well, his net, he doesn't impact winning. Uh, yeah. The Rockets aren't winning games, whether he's on the court or not. Okay. (laughs) The only reason they did is because they caught lightning in a bottle and got some like crazy heroic performances from the most random cast of characters and went on this like weird run. That was a ton of fun, which we'll talk about in our recap second segment. And that's it. Aside from that seven game win streak where they caught lightning in a bottle, even in games where Jalen Green didn't play, they didn't really win that many games. They won what 13 more the rest of the way, not even double that. (laughs) So, um, so yeah. Oh, and then, and then as far as the narrative driven stuff goes, I'm glad you said that last thing I'll say, you could see it in the play-in if you were watching the play-in last night. I mean, Doris Burke would, would come in with her with her little shtick and, you know, Herbert Jones, he's just such a player. It is so phenomenal what he's doing. You know, it's like, okay, thanks for the spotlight and the sob story. You know what I mean? It just seemed orchestrated and, like, it, it, you just started hearing Herb Jones, Herb Jones, Herb Jones. On the broadcast, Bill Simmons, uh, Kevin O'Connor put him on his first team over Jalen Green. Like, it's just like it came out unleashed, like, all at once. And I'm not saying that was orchestrated, but it's really odd, you know? And so to cap that off with Bill Simmons with five point something million followers on Twitter saying, fuck Jalen Green and and one of the biggest basketball podcasts that exists saying, fuck Jalen Green. Yeah, it's going to rub you the wrong way. Yeah. And and in all of this too, like it's, I've I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that like I, I don't, there's not five better rookies in the league than Jalen Green. And I, that's that's what all rookie teams should be about, right? It's positional, it's positionless. It's just, all right, who are the best five rookies in the league? And I don't think there's a, a substantial argument that we already kind of, again, we've already tackled this from a bunch of different angles for Jalen Green to not be one of those five. And here's what really bothers me, right? And here's the disconnect, the cognitive dis- dissonance. As you see people trying to debunk Jalen Green's season by saying, oh, well, he had that you know, that rough 18 game stretch. First off, thank you for highlighting the first like eight games because I've actually just been kind of lumping that like 18 game stretch together, right? Where it's just, all right, he, he was rough to start the season. I've also equated it to obviously the Rockets were rocking the double big lineup or depending on how you want to talk about it, the two non-shooter lineup with Jay Sean Tate and Daniel Tice. And that caused a lot of issues for Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, respectively. They had no driving lanes. Spacing was abysmal, all of that, right? So there's, there's layers to it. There's context to some of the struggles that were readily apparent. Now that said... If we were to go back and look at Cade Cunningham's first 18 games of the season, oh boy, was he cooking. 18 games of the season, 14.9 points. Uh, he was getting he was getting rebounds and assists, 6.6 rebounds, 4.5 assists, sure. But the efficiency was 38% from the floor, 31% from three across his first 18 games. And you don't see people holding that against Cade Cunningham saying, oh, well, he had a bad 18-game start. We Hold him off the, you know, all-rookie first team. You know, yeah, he came on strong in the second, you know, half of the season, second two-thirds, whatever, but he was trash to start the season, so we got to just throw out his entire ballot, right? You don't see the same energy being kept for 
Cade or for Franz Wagner, who, hey, they're not contributing to wins at all for Detroit or for Orlando. So why do the wins suddenly matter for Jalen Green when he's putting up numbers that, like you already mentioned, are you know matching up with the likes of Allen Iverson and Michael Jordan, you know, Hall of Famers, all-time greats. He's doing things that we haven't seen seen been done in decades, and yet people don't want to give him his due for that. It's absurd. And, and let me add to that, just for clarity. I mean, I, Kate is my rookie of the year, just for clarity. Um, and the and the justification for that is that, I mean, he had he has the numbers, and he had the biggest role of any of the rookies. Right, he was running the whole offense, and because he was able to put up really solid numbers, albeit on poor efficiency. Just look at Kevin Durant winning his rookie of the year, right? It happens. Poor efficiency happens for rookies, believe it or not. Um, so he'd be my my pick for the year. But I'm glad you brought that up because he stunk it up and his efficiency still is not good for the whole season. And it was really bad at one point. He was like shooting 30-something percent overall. I think you just said from the floor and his three-point percentage was in the 20s or something. So I misspoke. It was when he came – when Jalen Green came back from injury against the Col- uh, the Colts <laughs> – the Colts against the Indiana Pacers on December. No, no, no. 20- this is this is now a, this is now a state of the Texans podcast. You messed us up. We got we got to shift complete gears now. Davis Mills, the truth. No, we're going to talk about we're going to so, talk about Davis uh, Mills. December there we 20- go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to bust out the Davis Mills. All right, yeah, go yeah. ahead. I don't, right. I don't know. I don't Indiana. know if we did it on this podcast. I don't know if we did it on this podcast. But me and Jackson were talking at one point. I think we were just like on the phone or something. Davis Mills, and I was like, yo. Who? I was like, are you, are you, uh, you sure you got that one right, buddy? Davis. So, anyways, but look, Jalen Green got hurt and comes back December twenty third against the Indiana Pacers. Okay, the first nine averages seventeen point seven points per game, two point nine rebounds per game, one point seven assists per game, two point two turnovers per game. He shoots twelve point six shots per game, forty four point two percent from the field overall. 6.6 three-point attempts per game, 40.7% on 6.6 three-point attempts, and 83.3% from the free throw line on 4.7 attempts per game. For the first nine games that he's back, they play the Pacers, the Lakers, the Heat, the Nuggets, the Sixers, the Wizards, the Mavericks, the Timberwolves, and the Sixers again, okay? Then it's the next eight games after that. So those numbers are pretty freaking good, right? Like, I mean, that, that's... Like if, if that's what he averaged for the season, that'd be incredible. Um, and then the next eight games is where he, where he starts playing poorly. And then he picks it up again right after that. And then we're off to the races like that. I mean, that's it. Now in the beginning of the season, he had ups and downs his first two games ever, like poor shooting games, nine points, nine points. Then he has the 30 point outburst against the Celtics, eight threes made. Then he has the 24 point game against the Lakers with those two crazy threes over Anthony Davis at the end of the game. And the Rockets almost win it. Then he has 23 points against Cade Cunningham on, you know, eight of 20 from the field. So that's not great. But I mean, he had 23 points, five, five boards, two dimes, like give me a break. Uh, And then he has 21 points on six of 14 from the field against the Thunder all in that first month. So when people say, oh my God, he was so bad. Yeah. The averages aren't great, but it's not like he was awful. He was like, you know, he, he already set the, the high scoring in a, in a single game for any rookie at that point, obviously he ended up beating it himself. Franz Wagner beat it, and then he beat that with 41. But he had 30 points in the third game of the freaking season, and 24 against the freaking, you know, like, so the narratives are overblown, and that's that's what I want to focus on. You know, don't let people tell you, oh, he was awful for whatever the season. Let them know he came back from injury. The Rockets ran that double big bullshit for the first 17 games. 
and he still had some highlight performances. I'm giving you the argument for Jalen Green, by the way. If you want to repurpose this in your Twitter threads, go for it. Use your own version. Plagiarize the Mastodon. First 17 games, double big lineups, fucked everything up, worst offense in the league, terrible coaching rotations. Albeit, or I'm sorry, amidst that, Jalen Green still dropped the 30 bomb, the 24 bomb, 23 bomb, 21 bomb, okay? After that, he gets hurt, has 11 points in the first quarter of the game where he's hurt. I was at that game, so maybe I'm the bad the bad curse here. Gets hurt, comes back December 23rd, first nine games, puts up like, you know, very good numbers on very solid efficiency. Eight games after that, has his low stretch of the season, and then he was off to the races after that. So just keep that in mind. Um, because people talk a lot of shit about Jalen Green, um, and I don't think all of it's true. And it's pretty much February, right, where he picks up, and then after the All Star break is where he goes crazy. So, so yeah, he's first team All Rookie for me. If you don't think so, I don't know what to say. I mean, I I, I understand the defensive arguments, but I just think that is significantly outweighed by the offensive flashes and consistency that we saw from Jalen Green. No, if you don't think so, you need Jesus. Maybe not that Jesus. You need you need Jesus Shuttlesworth. I don't know. You need something if you don't think Jalen Green is all rookie. You don't know hoop if you don't think Jalen Green's all rookie. I'm sorry. Like it's just yeah, I can't yeah. I can't come up with any valid argument. And again, like I threw this one out there and I had a lot of people angry about this comparison, but it's like the debate between Herb Jones and and Jalen Green is like debating between who you'd rather have between Tony Allen and Kobe Bryant. Like, come on. Like, please. Like who who wins that? Like Kobe wins that eleven times out of ten every way to Sunday. Like, please. Right. Be more critical with your thinking. But that I feel like that that feels like a good kind of stopping point. I feel like you and I got a chance. We got to vent a little bit about the absurdity of this entire situation. We made some of our arguments. And, you know, maybe if you came into this with a different viewpoint, maybe you were swayed. If you weren't, maybe you're a Rockets fan and we just got you a little extra more riled up about the whole situation. So either way. Hopefully you are experiencing a bit of catharsis. I feel a little bit better about the situation, having gotten it off my chest a couple different times now. But and, we do and Bill Simmons is now little buddy. <laughs> All right, little I'm going to let you call him little buddy. I, you know, he's he's little bro. We're going to little bro Bill Simmons. That's, that, what, that's, that's what I'm that's, that's, I'm. that's what I'm saying. If you're, if you're listening go. on the podcast, on the audio, then you can't see me, but I'm giving him like the too short sign that uh, <laughs> NBA players do. Too small, baby. Little buddy. So... Gonna see Bill Simmons in person and just rock the baby at him, just like do it, pull out the. I think the I think Bill Simmons is taller than me in person, but this is irrelevant. So there we go. All right. Well, sometimes it'd be like that, but let's let's change gears here. Let's talk about just the Rocket season, which we kind of did talk about it a little bit here. You know, just kind of highlighting some of the ups and downs of Jalen Green's play throughout the season. Because I, what I like to do, Roosh, when we try to take a look back, you know, through a lens at a season, you know, in its entirety, I think that the best way to do it is to try and look at a season and kind of segment it right into certain areas. And for me, when you look at this rocket season and and you can chime in here in a minute after I kind of lay the groundwork and see if there's you know any other segments that we should kind of consider, I think it's very clearly divided into kind of four parts for this rocket season. So I think the first part is the double big lineup, right? So rockets were trotting out the double bigs, the, the two non shooters. It was a, a dumpster fire, 15 game losing streak, all of that. Right? So they have the double big lineup. Then we have the like miraculous like seven game win streak. So double big lineup is part one, phase one of the season. Then we have the seven game win streak. We have the insane performances. Gary Bird hype is at it, you know, on eleven at ten. Uh, we got the MVP chance in Toyota Center against Brooklyn against James Harden. Like that was like the height of the win streak, obviously. And then the win streak ends, right? And 
in that mix, this is maybe there's a bit of overlap between these two phases, but in that period, right, the Rockets lost Jalen Green due to his hamstring. Then they lose Kevin Porter Jr. soon thereafter. Uh, KPJ wasn't actually a part of the final two wins of the Rockets' win streak. So I kind of want to lump those two areas together, essentially the, the period of time where the Rockets were missing both Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green because that gap of time where they both, both missed time together allowed them to go over film, really kind of see where they weren't being as impactful as they could be, and And then they both eventually came back into the fold. And then we kind of have the final two segments of the season, I think. Maybe three segments. Like, you got the pre-All-Star break stretch for the team. Then you've got the post-All-Star break stretch for the team where they're still playing the vets. They're still, you know, trying to unlock what they have. And then you have the final little stretch of the season where they shut down the vets. So I think in total that comes out to about five or six, like, stretches, phases, points throughout the season does that sound about right? Is there any like stretch of the season that you think I missed before we try, you know, kind of dive in and just, you know, dissect it a little bit further? Can you, can you categorically just recap them so I can hear them all at once? Double big lineup phase one, uh, win streak and the, why am I counting on two separate hands? What is wrong with me? All right. Double big lineup is phase one. Uh, the win streak is phase two. Then the double joint, the double injuries to Kevin Porter Jr. Jalen Green was phase three of the season. Then you get those guys back, and it's basically from that point. Until, when when is phase three? What, like, can you remind me? Like, phase three was right after the end of the seven game win streak, right? So, like, as far as the season is concerned, let me double check, make sure I got my numbers right here. I want to pull this up. That is the wrong tab. Uh, yeah, I, re- I remember this. So yeah, the, the so streak ended um, against Milwaukee. A tightly contested game against Milwaukee, right? The, the Rockets actually put up two competitive games against the Milwaukee Bucks and on the road against the Memphis Grizzlies. And then they actually came back and had that, you know, insane come from behind win on the road against Atlanta. But that was essentially where, like, again, the, the win streak kind of derailed. They didn't have KPJ, Jalen Green in the lineup, so they were without their dynamic backcourt for a stretch of the season. I remember, like, things were pretty gloomy around them because it was like, well, what are we getting hype about, right? We have no Jalen Green. We have no Kevin Porter Jr. Like, it was, it was some dark days in that little stretch for the season, despite the crazy comeback win from Atlanta because that was, you know, probably one of the top five games of the year. So you have that stretch. And then I think from there, it just kind of, like, goes into... Like, there's just this, I don't want to say like a lull, but there was just like a big stretch where the team kind of started to grow and like let's, develop let's do together. This. Let's do this. Go ahead. Let's go double big, mm-hmm. win streak. Okay. Win streak ends, where's Milwaukee? December 10th. Then we'll then we'll do, okay, KPJ and Jalen out, right? That's three. Basically December. Then... Kevin came back right at the end of December. So let's just cover January, like like New Year's into January kind of. Because um, January was the low point of the season, right? Yeah. And then the rest of what you said. I just yeah. January to me is like the the gray the, the gray cloud over the season that and the should, double big lineup should should January well that, that's the, and that's the crazy thing right is like in 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 this way of like you know the way that I try to approach it by like separating the season into certain segments like it kind of feels like that one obviously like the New Year's Eve and New Year's Day debacle and then into the Wizards game on the road right like that little three four game stretch feels like it should be its own little like isolated stretch of the season what's, right because the rockets the were what's the new year's day debacle i was at kevin porter kevin porter jr and christian wood not returning was, man 
No, that was that was not the Miami Heat. That was sorry. I'm saying that was New Year's Day. That was the second night of the back to back. Miami Heat was New Year's Eve. New Year's oh, Day was okay. the oh, New Year's Day. Okay, New Year's yeah, Day. Sorry, right. Sorry. Right, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, so New Year's Day. So so it's and it's that four game stretch, right? So Miami Heat hotly contested game. They wind up losing next day. Denver Nuggets. New Year's Day. And remember, and the refs were the refs were atrocious in the Miami game. So New Year's Day happens, KPJ, Christian Wood, all that drama unfolds. Then they're suspended for the Sixers game, and the Rockets have nobody to throw at Joel Embiid, which was hilarious. And he then came back and hit that game winner against the Wizards, right? Yeah. So that would like to me, that's that's kind of like almost a bit of a I don't want to say a turning point for the season, but that was like, okay, like we have this, like, all right, they went through this huge issue, a lot of drama. How are they gonna come back? How are they gonna answer that? And then from there it was like KPJ kind of came back and was like head on his shoulders, like, hey, I messed up. Let me own up to it. Let me see what I can do. And it was that stretch from like January on into like all-star break, like when Dennis Schroeder got added to the team, basically. Got you. Okay. I mean, if you want to go like categorically through, we can like do like quick little summaries of, of each thing. I also have just general thoughts on the season. Um, I think, no, I think, I think, I think general thoughts are good. I think it's just like, we don't need to dive in. Like, you know, the, the right. purpose for that wasn't necessarily so that we can, you know, focus on each little segment and be like, well, what happened? What was wrong here? Cause like, we know what was wrong with the double big lineup. Like it was trash. Like yeah. the lineup sucked. The spacing was awful. It was more so just like, how do we remember the season? Right. What are the standout segments of the season to me? And at least to me, those were kind of the ones that I wanted to highlight the stretches of the season that truly mattered in the grand Which, scheme of things. I think I think you I think you you nailed it accurately. Which of those stretches was your least favorite? Which was your most favorite? Oh, um, I love that. Uh, I, I think it, and I feel like we're going to be in lockstep on this one, maybe. But I think for me, the least favorite had to have been when KPJ and Jalen were both out. It was just like it, it felt like at for stretches, it felt like there was nothing to root for because you're like the entire season is about development, it's about the growth. Can these guys play together? All of this, and without either of them out there, you were just like scratching your head wondering like, all right, when are they coming back? Like chomping at the bit to see what they can actually do. And then for me, the see the stretch that has to be like, and this is probably everybody's highlight stretch of the season, right? It was when the, they finally shut down the vets, right? Christian Wood out, Eric Gordon out, Dennis Schroeder out, and they finally unleashed the young guys. And we saw Jalen Green go on his insane tear. We saw Kevin Porter Jr. really start to light it up and look like a completely different player when he was allowed to just kind of be himself alongside Jalen and have that one-two punch in the backcourt and really see what those guys could do to other teams without necessarily having to, oh, we're going to factor in some Christian Wood, like pick and pops and post-ups and, you know, terrible isolations throughout the game. Like it didn't happen. And they got to just be themselves on the court. And I think we saw like the, not maybe not the best version of those two, but a really promising version of those two. Does that line up with you? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> my least favorite was probably the double big because that's fair. Because it was just tough basketball to watch. They had like a, a 96 or 98 offensive rating or something. It, it was just such, it was basically Daniel Tice and Jay Sean Tate bricking threes. That's like, that's what stands out about it to me, you know? It was just shitty to watch. Um, but I also, I think my lowest, lowest point of the season was was probably the Denver game. The Denver game going into the Philadelphia game, right? Because it was like, wow, this dude really got in his car and drove home. And then, wow, Christian Wood is now joining the party and throwing a tantrum. And then, obviously, they lost by like 27 or something. I think that was the the game where Jalen scored like 29 and then Silas sat him for the fourth, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and if that not is, against not against Philly, I think because because against no, 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 Denver no. he ran the point no, the Dan- second half. 
No, it was, oh no, it, it was it, he he scored 29 I think against Denver but it wasn't that game. So Jalen Green only played 15 minutes that game. My god. Um the the New Year's one against Denver. So anyways, so that happens against Denver and then they go into the Philly game and just get thumped and it was like, dude, really? Like is this is this the, that kind of season, you know? Jalen struggling, Kevin and Christian are suspended. It's like, what are we doing here? Um, and then my highest point of the season was, but 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 for for the record, the lowest was the double big, terrible offense. Daniel Tice starting, Jalen Green not, you know, he was like PJ Tucker in the corner. It just wasn't, you know, Josh wasn't really playing. Shangun was super limited, and we still, at that point, at least for me, I had an expectation of him playing like more than he ended up playing at that time. So it was all just kind of like, ugh, this is not fun. High point of the season when they shut the vets down because that's the team I wanted to see. That's the team we all wanted to see all season, right? You could, you could, some people would say Christian Wood, add Christian Wood in there, sure. But Kevin Porter Jr. going off, Jalen Green going off, both of them getting 20 plus shots a game and like being just unleashed. Shangun starting, uh, Garuba playing, you know, Josh Christopher playing, dropping a 30 bomb. Like that was fun. And I think that was more fun than the win streak. But the win streak was fun. Uh, the, the win streak was a lot of fun, especially when Garrison Matthews was just like, you know, going crazy. And we had the whole Gary Bird thing. So that was fun. But it, 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 the, the win streak had shades of Lynn sanity to it with Garrison Matthews. Like that's what that's what it kind of reminded me of a little bit. And not like I'm not talking like, you know, any version of like I'm talking like the New York Lynn sanity, right? Like I know he carried the nickname over to the Rockets. But it was never quite the same, right? Never had that same peak. Like, that's exactly what we kind of experienced. That lightning in the bottle, flash in the pan success. You had the EG game winner against the Magic. Like, all this, th- all these things to keep that win streak alive and going. And for that culminate- crazy double overtime game or whatever against Charlotte. Oh, what easily one of the probably one of the games of the season like that. That both teams were on fire in that game. And again, to, to have it culminate in ruining James Harden's return to Houston in that game against the Brooklyn Nets. Like it was just, it was an exciting stretch, even though we knew it didn't mean like this team was going to suddenly start like vying for like a play in spot or anything. It was just, it was a fun stretch of basketball. So I'm with you on that. I I still, I I do still have to go with that final stretch of the season though, but so yeah, no, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You, you do, you do what? Well, I was, cause I I was curious just, you know, we're talking about these different stretches, but and this this is the part that's really hard for me. Like, is there a game of the year that you have in mind? Like the one that you're like, that's that has to be the game of the year. Because so I re- feel like there's a lot of good ones to choose from. Yeah, there are a lot of good ones to choose from. Recency bias is a very real thing, right? Um, so Jalen Green dropping 41 is like, I mean, I wanted that so bad, right? And we got it. Was it the best game of the year? No. But was it my favorite performance of the year? I, I would have to say probably yes. Uh, the Charlotte game was incredible. The Atlanta comeback was absolutely wild. Um, the Brooklyn one that you mentioned was was hilarious. Gary Bird clamping Harden at the end and stealing the ball. Um, I'm trying to think. What were, what were ne- other- I will oh, never yeah. forget being in the building, hearing those MVP chants for Gary Bird. That was like peak rebuilding team moment where you're getting MVP chance for the dude that just signed, you know, a, a contract, like what, three weeks before that, two weeks before that, like it, it had been pretty fresh. Like the ink wasn't even dry yet on the contract at that point. Yeah. Beating Utah on the road was hilarious. I think that was the the first time that the Rockets played against Daniel house uh, after, Ooh. 
yeah. after releasing him. I could be wrong about that, but that, that's how. But a house it. for the team, though. Oh, a house for the team. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. I'm pretty sure that was it. Um, so that was, you know, that was a lot of fun. Um, I think my Jay number Sh- one has to be. I'm, I'm, I'm just throw it out there because I know you're you're kind of rolling down the list. So I'm just get this out there before you get to it. Number one for me has to be the overtime win against LA where we saw Jalen green take over that is. And that, even though he had the 40 bomb at the end, right? Like even though he had the 40, the 40 piece, I think to me, that is still his performance of the year because that was where we saw Jalen take over. Like legitimately he had 10 points straight in overtime outscored LA or matched LA, I should say in overtime by himself, 10 straight points in OT 19 straight points when you include overtime and the fourth quarter. And that was kind of at the very beginning of when we started to see him like go back to that mid range that we thought was going to be a part of his game when he came into the league, right? He, he kind of got away from it. Didn't utilize the mid range hardly at all through the majority of the season. And then we suddenly started to see him bring it back, right? We saw he would snake the pick and roll. They dropped the big, all right, bet. I'm getting to my spot right here. A little 15, 18 footer midi drain it every single time. And that's, we saw him do that in that game against the Lakers. And it's always nice to beat the Lakers, but the way that that worked with the Lakers at the height of their dysfunction and to see Jalen green, just go turbo and take over that game in the fourth quarter in overtime. I think that was the game of the year for me. And I think that was for me, Jalen green's best performance of the year. Yeah, I, I think I have to agree with that. I just spent some time kind of scrolling through some of the some of the games to remember because it's easy to forget. Yeah, that that was insane. And that was one where I was like, you know what? I don't even mind winning. This is awesome. Like we're beating Russ, LeBron, um, everything you just described, obviously. But it was like a really coming to age moment where it was like, yo, Jalen put the nail in the coffin that game, you know, took over in the fourth, took over in overtime, won that game. If you want, if you need an argument for how he impacts winning, go watch that game. Go watch the fourth quarter and overtime of that game the Rockets and, needed a bucket and that and that is what he is self-proclaimed and it was even better for first off that's incredible that like that was an all-timer quote right there by Jalen Green what have you learned about yourself this season took takes a second to think about it that I'm a bucket like just come out like like what kind like that is a level of swag that I can only ever hope to achieve like a tenth of like just the confidence oozing out of that man but I do think it's also like it's so like that win was extra sweet right because Jalen had the chance you know, early in the season on the road against LA, right? When he, you know, when the Rockets were trying to put them away, obviously it came down to a KPJ game winner, but for him to have those moments late in the game, the big three over Anthony Davis, the step back, all of that. And for the Rockets to not be able to like really, you know, climb that hill and, 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 you know, knock down that door and actually take that win from the Lakers for them to have that chance again later in the season on their home court to do it was a really special moment as well, I think. Yeah, and um, also one other game before we get into like evaluating, you know, the goals of the season and the players and all that. Um, the Memphis game, where they beat the Grizzlies, and and Jalen hit that like I think it was like a crossover step back or whatever where he drilled it to kind of put the nail in the coffin. KPJ had twenty nine, Christian Wood had twenty eight, Jalen Green best had game of Christian Wood's career, I think. Personally, no, no, no. the. The Washington game, I think, where he went off, dropped like thirty nine or whatever. That and that one's tough, but that one's like a statistical anomaly, right? Like he drained like eight of what nine threes, eight of eleven threes, or well, something. That's, absurd. that's why. That's why it's like his craziest game because he. And, like, but but and but that's why like I think craziest game, right? Like statistical anomaly, like bet you drained all those threes. 
But this that game against Memphis, like Christian Wood was putting in work, right? Like he was locked in, like defensively, he was facilitating. I think that game. I think if I'm not mistaken, I do remember he had like down six or seven assists that game. I do like, remember down the stretch of that game that he uh, he was like rebounding, and I think he blocked Desmond Bain or he blocked someone on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had one assist in that game. He had 28 points, 13 boards, game. one assist, two blocks, one steal. Four of seven from three, eight of twelve from the field, hit eight of eleven from the free throw line, which was that was a statistical anomaly for the season. <laughs> um, so, but uh, the, the Memphis game was also awesome because it's like if Christian Wood is a part of this core, we don't know. Um, but if he is, that was a, a nice glimpse into like what it could be. Um, and then Jalen again closing a game, put this put the nail in the coffin in the game, winning the damn game, right? Um, so, but look. Let's talk about the goals of the season, right? Uh, I think that that the Rockets had a few goals, okay? First and f- <laughs> first and four, I, first and foremost, they wanted to <laughs> they wanted to get you know secure the best odds for the number one pick of the NBA draft, right? Whether they'll say that outright or not, I'm, I mean, if if they had a brain, they probably expected to not win many games, and I think Rafael Stone is smart enough to know that. You got to get the best odds. So they did that. Check. Okay. Uh, they will they will receive no worse than the fifth pick in the NBA draft unless they decide to trade their pick. And so they could get someone, you know, they could get anyone from Chet to Paolo Bancaro to Jaden Ivey to Jabari Smith to Shaden Sharp to whoever else is projected to potentially fall fifth. Benny Matherin. I don't know. Um, so that's a check. Boom. Goal accomplished. And we had fun along the way. So pretty productive tank season. Uh, Another goal was to develop the rookies. And I think for the criticisms that I do have of Steven Silas's coaching, as far as like in-game, you know, adjustments and, and reads and all that, that kind of stuff goes, he develops some of these, some of these rookies, right? We saw Jalen Green at the end of the season. We saw Kevin Porter Jr. Who's not a rookie, but we saw him, you know, come to life in in the last portion of the season, really in, in his last 35 out of 61 games. We saw Usman Garuba get some run. We saw Josh Christopher uh, really take strides over the season and, and become a very reliable mid-range shooter and scorer. Um, we saw Alperin Shangun flex his muscles, you know. We saw, I think that's what, that's all of them, right? So we saw that. They developed the rookies. It took longer than I think we wanted. But in the end, when you look at it in the totality, that two those two weeks at the end were like the perfect way. It's almost like they brought them along perfectly and then just unleashed them at the right time to A, let them hit their peak performance, and then B, also just kind of end the season on a positive note with a ton of positive energy and a ton of confidence. Like, hey, this is the future. So now expectations start to kind of get set. So I think they accomplished all those goals um, and – and they still haven't. We still haven't touched the Harden stimulus package, right? The first pick of that trade package that they receive for James Harden is going to be made in this draft, or it'll be traded in this upcoming draft. So, organizationally, I think they're in a good place. You know, I think the season was a success. I think they checked all the boxes they needed to check. Jalen had his forty-point game, you know, and like they capped it off with a banger. Um, and then I, I think they're really going to roll their sleeves up in this offseason. You know, we're going to figure out. The, the talent they're going to add. And you heard Rafael Stone say that they're hoping to put, put together compelling trade offers. So maybe there'll be buyers on the trade market. So lots to look forward to, but all in all successful season, especially given where they're at with a rebuild kind of starting from ground one. Keep in mind, this was year one of the rebuild. Okay. 
last season was not year one of the rebuild. This was season one of Jalen Green. This was season one of Kevin Porter Jr. full-time at the point. Um, you know, this was this was the year one of the rebuild. So the Rockets, I feel like, are a little bit ahead of a track. They got a potential superstar in Jalen Green in place. They got Alperin Shangun in place. Um, they got some promising young rookies and then a couple other picks to come in that should be high, high-tier talent. So all in all, successful. No, I think I think, and that's that's kind of the message that I've been trying to deliver as the season has has kind of gone on. It's just that, look, yeah, can we get into like the semantics about oh well, you know, so and so should be playing more minutes, or these lineups kind of suck, or this, that, and the other thing? Like the again, the more granular lens of things throughout the season, absolutely, and maybe maybe some of those gripes are warranted here and there. But in the grand scheme of things, you take back you know a ten thousand foot view, you look at the macro of how this season went. And I think you absolutely objectively have to give the Rockets like an A++ effort for what they accomplished. The only area that I will say is a bit is maybe still a bit of a question mark that they didn't, they, it's not, I don't want to say like an incomplete, but just we still don't exactly know what the future holds. And that is that the objective for the season was very clearly about, okay, we need to see what we have with Kevin Porter Jr. as the point guard. And they did that. They they gave Kevin Porter Jr. a lot of leash to make a lot of mistakes, to have the reps, to kind of see what it was like being the point guard. And I still think to this point, they they even did that, maybe not necessarily to the detriment of Jalen Green, but essentially like they kind of knew, all right, we know what we've got with Jalen. Like he's going to be okay. He's going to be a bucket. He's going to be a future star. We need to find out what we have or don't have with Kevin Porter Jr. this season which is why his development, his growth, prioritizing him as the point guard of the team and letting him have those trials to see whether or not he can actually thrive was very important. At times, you know, again, to the detriment of Jalen Green kind of being sidelined as like the P.J. Tucker in the corner of the offense because they needed to put the ball in Jalen or in KPJ's hands and see what he could do with it. I don't think we come away with a concrete answer yet on Kevin Porter Jr. I think we can feel a bit more confident in him. I think he did show a lot of growth this season. He's developed incredibly as a defender, as a catch-and-shoot player. He's, a, he's for all intents and purposes, he's almost like a 3-and-D point guard, right? Like, he's shooting, you know, best catch-and-shoot percentage in the entire NBA amongst qualified players. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but the stats was running around on Twitter the other day. So, he's shown a lot of growth. But is he truly, like, the best fit next to Jalen Green for the future? I don't know. I don't think we have that answer yet, but I do think there was been enough evidence that the Rockets organization is going to be confident with him at least moving forward into next season in that same role next to Jalen Green. Like I would feel, I feel very confident right now in this moment saying your starting backcourt for your next season Houston Rockets will be Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green. Is that the long-term backcourt? No idea yet. I don't think there's a concrete answer to that question quite just yet. I mean, I, I, I agree with literally everything you just said. So the unfortunate thing is that they waited until the last two weeks, right? So, like, on, on, in some ways, I commend them for how they brought the, the the young core and the rookies along. And then the flip side of that is, yeah, it would have been nice if we could have seen those guys play, you know, unleashed like that with some of the other talent on the team actually playing to see, like, hey, can these guys coexist? Is Eric Gordon, you know, does he make the team better? Do these guys actually maybe win some games if they're playing like the way that they played at the end of the season? But maybe that's a bad thing. And maybe, you know, so I don't really know what the reasoning is, but but I agree. Going into next season, my belief is that the situation is going to be fluid. Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green will probably be your starting back court, I think, for sure. I think the good news is that Kevin uh, KPJ, let me just let me just hit you with some of these numbers because um, we're talking about Kevin Porter Jr., right? So Kevin Porter Jr. in the first, oh, where'd it go? In the first 
26 games of this season, he averaged 12 points a game, just under four turnovers a game, six dimes, four boards. He shot 32% from three on five and a half attempts per game. And he shot 35.7% overall from the field. So his efficiency was in the tank. Okay. Uh, and then the after that, the numbers that let me see. Let me just hit this B ball reference and give it to you because it's pretty good. It's 35 games, I believe. 35 games. He averaged 18 points, six and a half times, four boards, uh, 2.7 turnovers per game, shot 44.9% from the field and 40.4% uh, from three on seven and a half attempts per game. So, like, even his free throw percentage, 67%, was higher than his season average. So, he improved across the board and he gave the Rockets a lot to be excited about you know even people that were that were doubting him naysaying like the way he ended the season really puts doubt in your head if you were if you were doubting him you know and i was doubting him so i it puts doubt in my oh, head so if you were doubting him it puts more doubt in your head this is getting really redundant with all the doubt that we've got throwing around i'm doubting here. my doubt right so uh <laughs> i'm a uh, rue mastodon doubt fire so but but seriously i mean he <laughs> But seriously, he played so well at the end of the season that it was like, damn, I would love to see you and Jalen with, you know, there's 47 million riding on the on this on the bench that the Rockets need to figure out. There's Eric Gordon's contract. There's Christian Wood. Like there's salary that could be filled in with actual players that fit this team. Christian Wood still might be that player. Uh, Eric Gordon maybe could be in some some world, right? But you get what I'm saying. If they if they were able to use that money to fill it in the way they wanted to and put those players next to Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. and give Alperin Shangun, is he going to start? I don't know, right? Give Usman Garuba a run, all that kind of stuff. Now I want to see what that looks like because I'm a believer in the potential of KPJ and Jalen Green as a backcourt, but I, I need to see it and I need to see if that good play statistically translates to wins. Um, so, but that's, I mean, that's the downside. So it's still kind of a question mark. We don't know what's going to happen next season, but it's a good problem to have, I would say. Um, you know, because... Like I just read the numbers to you. We all know the numbers from KPJ and Jalen. They averaged like 58 points per game combined uh, over those last seven or whatever when Christian Wood sat, which is insane, right? 29 a game from each. I don't know. I don't know how it broke down individually, but that, you know, if you split it down the middle, that's 29 per game each. And then you just got to think, man, who are they going to add? Bancaro, Jabari. Like there's so much flexibility and optionality. And I think that was all by design by Rafael Stone, right? I think they wanted as much optionality as they could get heading into the 2023 summer where they're supposed to have a clean cap sheet and they should have all the, the picks, you know, that they've been working with and could really make a splash, especially if a Jalen green takes that next step and players want to come play with him, especially if Kevin Porter jr. Takes that next step and they do it together. And it's like, Hey, we got an in-house backcourt of stardom, you know? Um, so, I mean, fun stuff, man. It, it was a successful season given the goals that they had, there's a lot to look forward to. And I mean, those last two weeks really got me itching to just, I want to watch this team. You know, like I'm, I'm going back and running back highlights of Jalen Green's best games and KPJ's best games and Shingun's highlights and all that, because those last two weeks had me fiending, man. I mean, for most of the season, I would tune in just dejected, like, you know, whatever, I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And then Jalen started taking off and then KPJ started being consistent. And, I, and then Shingun started getting more minutes for a while. And I'm thinking this is what I want. So, those are my thoughts. It was a great way to round down the season. And I, I do think, again, you have to be really, really excited about where this team is headed and how they've navigated the rebuild so far. Shout out to ownership for it's hard, right? Hitting the reset button, you know, being, you know, going into it, knowing, hey, we're going to hit the self-destruct button and we're going to be 
bad, right? Like, because this team could have been, you know, John Wall and Karis LeVert and Jared Allen and fighting for a play-in spot in the Western Conference with no, like, you know, no end in sight as far as like how to end the mediocrity, right? They would have been stuck in NBA purgatory. And that's where you don't want to be. You want to be at the top of the pecking order in the NBA, or you want to be one of the worst teams in the NBA with legitimate chances to try and find a franchise altering talent in the NBA draft. And that's what the Rockets did. They hit the reset button. They got their guy in Jalen Green. And I think to a lesser degree of some of like the question marks or the goals kind of going into this past season, one of those had to have been was like, is Jalen Green the guy, right? Like, is he the franchise cornerstone? Or is he like, oh, he's a really good player and he's going to be like a great second option to the next guy who we're going to try to get as the franchise cornerstone, be it via trade or be it like we're going to draft this guy next year, all that. And I think that Jalen showed like, nah, he's that guy. Like, he's the franchise cornerstone moving forward. And now you don't have to try and get, I mean, if, if you luck out and get a second franchise cornerstone, great. But now you've got your number one. You've got your Devin Booker. You've got your LeBron, your Luka, your whoever. That's who Jalen Green is. That was a glimpse into what his future holds, this tail end stretch of the season with all the 30-point games, the 40-piece, all of that. Now you need the right complementary pieces and the right talent around him, be it talent that's already in-house that you grow or talent that you find elsewhere through the draft via trade, free agency, whatever. You need the right talent around him to allow him to continue to grow, evolve the same way that we've seen Trey do it, the same way that we've seen John Morant do it, the same way that we've seen Luca do it. And that's all you do. You cultivate that superstar talent. You put the right pieces around them. And I think we're going to be much close. We're much closer to being back to the playoffs than we are far away from the playoffs, right? Like I, it, as a fan of this team, I have so much more optimism than I think like any Sacramento Kings fan has had in the last like 20 years. And it's crazy because we're in, we just finished year one of the Rockets rebuild. But Roosh, we got to assign some grades here. Right, we've talked about the season. We've kind of, you know, molded over, shared, di- you know, different thoughts about how the season has gone. And I think we're we're at a good stopping point to actually kind of assign some letter grades here to the rookies. Well, maybe not necessarily the rookies, right? But just the the young core as it presents itself, right? So KPJ, Jalen, you know, Uzi, which is one of the best nicknames on the team at this point. Um, all of that, right? I I think we got to start with the man of the hour himself. Let's let's rock with Jalen Green because. He showed the the flashes, right? He showed exactly what you wanted to see out of the number two overall pick. Took a little while. He did have some down stretches of the season. But overall, I walk away thinking that Jalen Green, I, I'm going to give him an A-. minus. I could, I could give him like an A or an A+, plus, but I think A- minus is pretty fair given that he still has room to grow. There's definitely some areas that, you know, he wasn't perfect in. And I do think that you do have to, you know, take his entire season, right? You have to take the good with the bad. Even though the good was pretty damn good, he did have some bad stretches in there. But you walk away feeling incredibly confident, like I already said, that he's your guy. He's the franchise piece moving forward. And that was the answer that you wanted to have, that confidence in him moving forward. And I have that confidence. So I'm going to give him an A-. minus. Yeah, I don't remember when we did our midseason like, rookie grades for uh, on Locked on Rockets. I think it was after like a couple weeks of Jalen starting to turn it on. And so I think I gave him a B because I was balancing the bad with the good at that time. Uh, but I'm with you, A minus. Um, the way he ended the season, I mean, it, it still has left my mind blown. That that 40-burger, 41 points, just the way he was effortlessly scoring. And the way that like, it's, I mean, it's crazy. It's like I, I raised two puppies. And when you see them become one-year-old and no longer like just a little tiny baby boy, and you, you, you see how much they've learned, 
and like how much their identity is, has kind of filled in and their personalities change and all that kind of stuff. Not to compare Jalen Green to an animal, um, but just the, the growth, right? Like we saw him come in as a baby. He still is a baby, but we saw him come in as a baby and take those growing pains. And now he's a totally like more, he's just way more confident. Um, he's way more efficient. He's getting more respect. Like he knows himself. He's figured it out and we've watched him figure it out. And there's nothing quite like that process, watching somebody figure it out and then think, and just kind of sitting back and, and, you know, I don't know if you've seen that Kanye documentary, for example, uh, genius on Netflix. I can hear you typing brother man's live. I I'm sorry that I got like this, like old typewriter mechanical keyboard. I need to swap it out for some nicer keys. I just want to make sure I have tabs pulled up to, to reference in case I need them. So, but, um, I mean, but so, uh, but regardless though, I, I mentioned the Kanye documentary cause like you, you see him before he's famous and then you see him like figure it out and it's like, holy shit. And so same thing with Jalen green, but, but a minus for me, um, because the stardom is there. Got a, got a ding him for the, the poor stretch. But other than that, a minus who's next. Um, let's go. Let's rock. Let's rock with the other, uh, incredibly impressive, star rookie um somebody that surprised i think a lot of people myself included alperin shangun but i'm gonna let you tee this tee this one off um okay alperin shangun i'm gonna give shangun uh, a b plus i think i gave him a i think i gave him a b or maybe i gave him a b plus i can't remember i'm gonna stop trying to remember because i don't give him a b plus um the offensive ability that he showed and the fact that he was kind of caged up in a lot of ways um for most of the season does it for me. I mean, we see all the potential, you see all the statistics, you see the the way when he started, he looked like a starting center. And I think that's what seals the deal for me. He still has uh, some holes to fill and he still makes some stupid mistakes on defense. He reaches, he has some bad turnovers, but at the end of the day, you can run an offense through him at times, at least you've seen him incorporate new moves, like the little dream shake. He hit that little uh, fade away, that little Dirk one legged fade away, you know, um, He's not afraid to shoot threes. He's not hitting them yet, but he's he's getting there, I think. I, I'm a believer that he'll get there. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we saw him go toe-to-toe with legit centers in this league, and, and I think he has the chops to be a big man. So, uh, overall, I think if he played more, he could have been in the A region, but um, I think he was above average, so B+. plus. You know, it's wild as I think this might be the one where you and I have the largest discrepancy as far as our grades. Maybe. We'll see as we, as we navigate You're gonna through say, these guys. Can I predict what you say? Sure. You're going to say B minus. No, actually opposite direction. I'm going to give him my highest grade total. And that's an A plus legitimately an A plus higher than Jalen. That's not to say, that's not to say that I feel like, you know, better about like Alper and Jingun's future over Jalen Green or anything. I just can't like, and part of that is part of that is a little like a level of surprise in, in what the Rockets truly have in him. Right? Like, hold on. Are you, are you pandering to our Turkish friends? I could be, but no, legitimately, like, I, I, I mean, I, I'm legitimately that impressed with Alper and Shingun because across the board, I think that he has shown in insane flashes that I didn't expect to be there. And again, a part of that's the expectation, right? Like Jalen Green was billed as being a number two overall pick, like, you know, best shooting guard prospects since Kobe, like all this stuff, right? Alper and Shingun came in and I, like, I hadn't even really done film on him before the draft. So I was like, okay. Who is this guy? Let's get acclimated. And then we hit we hit summer league, and my biggest question mark was like, all right, old school post player, like back to the basket. He's gonna back some guys down. He's got some chops there down low. Like 
Is he going to be barbecue chicken defensively? And then he comes into Summer League, and defense was his best trait in Summer League. Like, you saw this guy hustling, recovering for block shots on the perimeter, in the paint, like, setting hard screens, making the passes, like, all of that. And I was like, yo, this guy can play. Like, what? And I think throughout the season, we saw that in glimpses, right? We didn't get enough of it, right? I would have loved more Alper and Shingun throughout the season because we saw exactly what he did when he was given legitimate starter treatment, right? Legitimate starters minutes. He puts up numbers. The rate at which he draws fouls, the the, the insane playmaking ability, how you can legitimately run an offense through him at just 19 years old. That's in, that is absolutely absurd. And so I do think that it kind of harkens back. Steven Silas highlighted this in his exit interview, right? He didn't expect to have a post player that was that versatile in Alper and Shingun this season. And so his offense wasn't necessarily catered to what he could do with Alper and Shingun. Now, maybe you want to, you know, get the pitchforks out and you're like, he's a head coach. He should have like adjusted that halfway through the season, started utilizing a bit more. That's besides the point. Alper and Shingun is a very, very unique basketball player. There's very few players that can do what he does on a nightly basis on the NBA floor. And I do think that he grew a lot. He grew a lot defensively. I think offensively, he started minimizing some of the, you know, I don't want to call them careless mistakes. They're mistakes that are very akin to, it feels weird putting him in this company, but like they're mistakes that very feel very similar to like a Steph Curry or a Manu Ginobili, right? Like they're Ginobili. kind of out there. It's yeah, Ginobili. they're out there doing wild stuff with the basketball and you just have to let them be them, right? You have to live with some of the mistakes that they're going to make because for every like, you know, one or two like, you know, bad passes where they thread the needle a little bit too much or they're trying to get a little bit too cute with the basketball. They have those jaw-dropping, jaw insane highlight-level plays where you're like, yo, how did he do that, right? How did he get the ball there with no space through four defenders, like whatever? How did he spin through three guys and get to the rim and, you know, lay it up and in? All this different stuff. So LP is, a, is, a, is an A-plus in my book. Because, again, part of that is the expectations factor. I didn't have the expectations set as high for him. And he absolutely blasted through the expectations and blew me away. So let me just clarify my B plus. I mean, part of it has to do with the fact that. He oh, now, now you're going to walk back the B plus a little bit. You're like, shit, I didn't I, I know. Didn't think he, I didn't think Jackson was going to come in with, a, with an A plus. Well, you know, when you do this stuff, you try to hold some of your biases back and you try to be as objective as you can. It's ultimately yeah. impossible. And so. You know, I'm thinking, am I like a homer for if I go in the A region? I don't know. Is this a homer podcast, though? Probably. So who gives a shit? It's called but, State of the Rockets. So. I know, right? But um, no, well, you and I, you and I tend to be pretty objective about the team. I think. I think that we don't sit here and we just, you know, we're not farting rainbows talking about the team and everything's great and whatever. <laughs> like, like no, dude. Like we we criticize the team a lot. Like that's that's kind of our shtick, right? It's like we're not sitting here just again. We're not pumping Taste rainbows. The rainbow, up baby. Butt. Dude, there we go. Yeah, like come on. <laughs> But, um, but no, and, and I, I agree with you. And, and look, I mean, if you're new to me, I'm a Rockets fan first and foremost. So I try to stray from like fanboying certain players. So I, I, you know, I just like the team, but man, I love this cast of players. But uh, for me, Shangun still has some defensive questions. Still can't hit the three, like I said, um, even though I, I like where he's headed. And so those two things, I think alone, um, Kind of, you know, if, if those if one of those was short up, maybe we're talking A minus, but those are two pretty, pretty important things. So he's got to really answer those questions before I can bump him up. But I mean, he might be one. I mean, he might be my favorite player. I don't know. Same thing with you. I didn't really know much about him uh, up until the draft. And then in summer league, he blew my mind. And I was like, yo, I can't wait to watch this kid. And then obviously we had. And then uh, we didn't get to watch him at all. No. I know we had, we had some issues there and, uh, you know, some spaces. Hey, you know what? 
let's talk real quick. Let me one thing about organic learning. If the spaces were actually influencing decisions and Alperin Shingun would have started games, but regardless. So um, I will say that he averaged over the last six games of the season. Okay. And he missed two of them, unfortunately, or actually fortunately, because the Rockets lost both of those games, but he missed two of them against Sacramento. But his last six games of the season, starting with the second Portland game, which was the last game of the season, I think that Christian Wood played. And then against the Spurs, the Timberwolves, the Nets, the Raptors, and the Hawks. So, like, these are good teams, right? Spurs made the play-in. Timberwolves made the playoffs. Brooklyn made the playoffs. Toronto made the playoffs. And Atlanta is still alive in the play-in. So, um, did I get that wrong? Atlanta won. Yes. Atlanta won. So Atlanta's in the playoffs. Great. Okay. So no, no, no. They're they're no, no. They're, they were they were the nine ten matchup. So they're still facing off. They're still fighting for a spot. Who'd they play? Charlotte. They played Charlotte. No, no they, they beat the shit out of Charlotte. Oh, so they're playing. Yeah. You're right. You're they're right. playing Cleveland. Right. Yeah, yeah. They're, so right. the, you're, you you were right the first time. They're still fighting for a play in spot or playoff spot. Trust your gut, baby. So regardless, these are teams competing and they're good teams. And Alperin Shingun in those games. He started five out of the six, and he got 32 minutes a game, 31.8 minutes a game. So finally we saw the kid play for an extended stretch. 15 and a half points on 11 shots per game, 50% from the field. Took 3.33 attempts per game. That's hilarious. He shot 25%. But 15 and a half points, eight rebounds, 4.3 dimes, and a block, 1.0 flat, a block per game, 87% from the free throw line on just under four, four attempts per game. So those per 36 numbers, this is 32 minutes. His 30, his per 36 numbers were like 17, eight and five or 17, eight and four. He put up 15 and a half, eight and four with a block to boot. That's serious. They, tra- they translate. Not, not everybody's per 36 translate, right? That's, that's right. one of the common misconceptions with that stat is you're just like, if you go I back to 36, per 36 personally, but like it works with him. It does, because again, if you go by per thirty six, then uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, why am I blanking? Uh, Boban Marjanovic is like the greatest player of all time if you go by per thirty six numbers. But Boban can't actually translate what he does in his like short little stints that he runs on the floor across a full blown like thirty six minute game. It just doesn't work that way. You can't deploy him like that. But Alperin Shingun, you can, and like that's where I think that little like again that that little stretch in the season gave so much hope, and it's like. That was where I, I was like, nah, let me rock these red tinted shades because like I'm so hype on the future of this team. And but he's still 19. He turns 20 in July, dude. I think crazy. the Rockets, I think the Rockets are gonna draft their next rookies before he turns 20. I'm not sure about that. Depends on when the draft is, but I think no, the draft will be in June, right? June this year, I think. Yeah, June. Okay, because last June. year they pushed it back July. Okay, so they will the Rockets will have drafted a new rookie before Alperin Shingun turns 20. So consider that. Um, and per 36 fun after one of those games. Or maybe even still, I haven't checked. But Bruno Fernando at one point, his per 36 was like 29 points and 17 <laughs> rebounds. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. So hey, um, hey, we we don't talk about Bruno. Um who's next? No. So let's uh let's go let's go KJ Martin next. Can we and, do all the rookies first and then go to the other players? Oh, sure. All right, all right. We'll keep it a bug. Right, we'll keep it a bug. Let's go, let's go for your like OCD over here. All right, let's go Josh Christopher then. Josh Chris, it's you, it's you. So, it off. Yeah. All right. So Josh Christopher showed flashes, man. Like, you know, I, I walk away being again, like, I don't think stone missed on any of these four picks. And I think that just as a talent evaluator, stone has shown his chops and that's maybe an area that 
Daryl Morey was probably a bit lacking in, mainly just because we never saw it, right? Because the Rockets were constantly wheeling and dealing their draft picks. They never really, but even even so, right? Like Stone's shown an ability to like go out and get guys with like KJ Martin with like the late second rounder, right? That was a, a pick that was bought, right? Goes and snags Jay Sean Tate from overseas. So even then, we never really saw like Daryl Morey do that, where he was like going out and finding these like these gems that other people, other teams were like necessarily like looking over or whatever. So with Josh Christopher. I, I think talent-wise, you see the flashes. It's there. He's had some really strong performances. He's also had some points in the season that were, like, straight duds, right? Like, he had the, the stretch, like, pre- and post-All-Star break where he didn't hit three for, like, I think it was, like, seven or eight games in a row. Couldn't buy a bucket. His role was very much in flux with the addition of Dennis Schroeder to the lineup. Like, he got bumped down and was suddenly, you know, he was very much in the rotation, clawed his way into the rotation, wasn't expected to be a part of the rotation, and then suddenly Dennis Schroeder got introduced to the mix and he started, suddenly started getting 10, 12 minutes a night. It was rough, right? He didn't know, quite know what his role was. I think with Josh Christopher, though, you see the flashes defensively. He's got the two-way potential, all of it there. I'm going to give Josh Christopher just a flat B for the season. Disappointing. Um, so I gave Josh a B plus. Okay. Now, Part of the reason that I gave him a B plus is because my expectations for him this season were low. I thought he was going to be, I thought he'd be in uh, the G League, personally. To be fair, he was. He was, but not for very long. I thought he was going to be there for at least half the season and then maybe brought up like at the end and kind of like given minutes. Um, I'm very pleased that he was not. So his three-point shot is lacking, under 30% for the season. Over His overall field goal percentage ended up, I think, at 44. But I think he shot 54% from two this season, which is, that's very good to me. Um, he's butter from mid range, like butter. Uh, he gets to the basket and finishes. Um, another knock on him is he's going to be a combo like scoring guard. So his, I think he averaged two dimes and like 1.5 turnovers. So he's not going to be like an assist to turnover guy. You know, he's, he's going to be one of those guys that is going to impact the game scoring. And then on defense, he's not going to necessarily be much of a creator for others. So he'll probably go through those spells, right, where it's like, oh, Josh is on fire. And then, oh, Josh is having a rough shooting game. And therefore, he's not playing that well. I think he's going to be that type of player. Um, I give him a B plus, though, because when he actually got playing time, um, he per- he performed well. And I'm going off the top of my head here. I don't have the numbers. I think I have the numbers memorized because I was on uh, the bench with Lance Zerline and John Granado the other day. Shout out to them. And I was reciting these numbers um, on ESPN 97.5, 92.5. But um, I was reciting these numbers. And I think Josh averaged 15, 15 and a half points per game. Or, sorry, let me back up. 14 games of 25 or more minutes. Okay. So he got real playing time. And I think he's a rhythm player. So I think he needs that time. 15 and a half ish points, um, just under four rebounds a game. Three point something assists per game. I think he shot 52 52% from the field. And I think he shot like 38.5% from three on like four attempts per game. So, like, that's, pr- I mean, if that's the Josh Christopher we get one day, 15, three, and three on 50 something percent from the field, and even like 35, 36% from three, much less 38 point whatever percent, then I think he'll be a very good player. Um, and so I give him a B plus for that because, like, when he got his chances, he really, shined and then in proportion to the expectations that i had for him he outperformed those expectations um so yeah b plus for josh i'm really i'm really pleased with him i want to see him sharpen his defensive instincts sometimes he just relies on his athleticism and kind of like gambles and gets out of position and and forces breakdowns behind him in the defense so i need him to kind of hone that in and grow a little bit mature a little bit on the defensive end and get his three-point shot right and if he does those things another gem 
All right. That brings us to our final rookie for the season, Usman Garuba. Usman Garuba. So I think... <laughs> uh, Jason Derulo. <laughs> Garuba's hard to give a grade to. Um, I mean, he really he didn't really play, right? So I, I give him an incomplete because... I mean, I can't. How can I grade the guy? Can you pull up his stats? How many? Uh, how many? No, games I know. I I know it's great because I I'm gonna give him an incomplete too. That's why I'm chuckling over here because it's oh, it's there great. You go. Um, there like, you go. Yeah, so, and we are we are in lockstep on this. We're in the same brainwave. Um, Played 24 yeah, he, games. Yeah, and and I don't think like and that, here's the thing. I don't think you can count any of the games that he played like earlier earlier in the season because like you look at what he was getting. He look four minutes. 12 minutes, 12 minutes, four minutes, three minutes, two minutes, two minutes, like just not any legitimate amount of playing time at he got all. 10 or more, he got 10 or more minutes 11 times. So it's like, I can't really judge anything off that. Now, that being said, uh, the minutes that we did see him play I in like a real game, I was actually very pleased with. Um, and I'm talking pretty much about the end of the season. So yep. uh, let me get this in order. So at the end of the season, um, in the last, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. In the last seven games, uh, he actually played. You know, he played, what, 17.7 minutes per game, okay? So he has offensive issues. Um, he's going to have to learn how to score the basketball, at least like, you know, an up and under or just something, maybe a little floater, just a little something so that when he catches the ball under the basket, he can actually finish it. Um but he's got long arms. He can finish at the basket dunking the ball. He's on offense. He's smart. He knows how to pass the ball and kick the ball out and make the right the right read, especially when he's like in the middle getting the ball. He can kick it out to the shooters correctly. He's got a sneakily like decent three point shot. He shot thirty three point three percent in uh, over the last seven games on you know point nine attempts per game. But uh, he hit two threes. Uh, I think he was one. He had two threes, two makes, and he shot three, four, six. Um, oh, he was two of six. There you go. So, but he, he was like sneakily decent at hitting the three. The form's a little funky, um, but it went in and his free throw percentage was 80%. I mean, he can actually kind of decently shoot free throws, it seems. So, and then, man, the best thing about him is he just uses his length to keep basketballs alive on the boards. Like he hustles and he's smart. He knows how to use his body. He gets after the ball. There were times Itamar on Twitter cut up a couple clips where, man, he was guarding. I forget who it was, but it was, uh, I think it was Trey Young. I think it was Trey Young and then someone else on the perimeter for maybe Bogdanovich. I'm not sure for the for the Hawks. And his feet were moving well. Like we saw him get cooked at times on defense. But man, when he gets locked in and confident, his feet actually move pretty well. He's really good at, at turning his hips and kind of you know moving on defense laterally. He's got long arms, so when he closes out, it it really affects the shot. There were Trey Young hit one shot on him from deep, but other than that, his length was actually affecting Trey Young. So. I'm high on Garuba, man, and he. We we talk about needing a big, and the Rockets do need some size, but I think he's actually going to be capable of playing big for certain stretches of games. He he can. He's not a big man. He's only six eight, but he's got the wingspan and he's got the strength and the beef. He's a he's a beefy boy. Um, some beef on him to, uh, you know, to kind of bang in there. So I'm really excited about Garuba, but I give him an incomplete. Yeah, I'm right there with you on the incomplete. I think we've seen you know little little spurts about you know the the flashes of the defense the defensive potential, and that's where you look at Garuba and you're like, you know what, he was probably always going to be the project player. Like you looked at what the Rockets were you know kind of coming in with roster wise this season with Wood, with Tice, with Shingun, and with Garuba. Garuba was always going to be the fourth guy. 
He was going to be the guy that was going to be buried on the bench behind those other three bigs. He was going to be the guy spending time at the G League. He had the unfortunate wrist injury that sidelined him for a chunk of the season, missed out on some opportunities where he could have gotten some legitimate reps in games that Christian Wood maybe missed, stuff like that. Tough shake for his rookie year. But he his biggest thing is he wants to get reps. Like, he's going to play Summer League for the Rockets again. So... And he missed out a chunk of Summer League last time because he was doing the Olympics. So he's going to play Summer League. He wants to just get reps with his teammates on the floor. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, obviously, you start the season, you're just developing chemistry with your teammates. You're like, yo, all right, where are your spots on the floor? Like, where do you want me to be? Like, you're figuring things out. Garuba didn't get that opportunity, right? He looked like he was lost at times on the floor in that final seven games especially offensively, just because he didn't have those reps with his teammates. He doesn't know where they like the ball, where they don't like the ball, when to, when to screen, when to do certain things. Like That's stuff that you build up over the season. He wasn't given or wasn't afforded that opportunity, unfortunately. So yeah, incomplete for Garuba, although you do see some flashes there. And I think you got to be really optimistic that he's going to be able to put it together because of all the physical gifts that he has. And because coming in, right, Rafael Stone was you know high praises for Garuba, saying he was the best defender in the entire world, not in the NBA. That's, that's a lot of praise from a guy that has shown to be a pretty good evaluator of talent so far to this point. Let's go to Kevin Porter Jr., KPJ, what'd you give him? Oh, you know, KPJ, it was it was kind of tough for me to grade. But I do feel very confident about the growth that he has shown this season. Because, again, this entire season was all about growth. I gave him a B plus. Woo. I think wow. that I think that you've got to be pretty confident about the steps that he took. Whether, again, whether or not he's truly the, you know, Jalen's backcourt running mate for years to come, whatever. Answer that question later on. He grew. Wait, we went over his stats earlier on. We went through, like, his start to the season, where he finished the season at, three-point shootings there, the defense, his uptick, all of that. And then especially that final stretch where he and Jalen just got to be unleashed and be themselves, right? I think he showed a lot. I think there's a couple drawbacks on him, right? You look at, like, his ability to finish in and around the rim, that's a bit concerning. The fact that he you know, was a better finisher last season around the rim. And this season, like he just, again, he drive into the paint and like he shy away from contact, right? Like he'd go to that like little, like whatever, like makeshift, like fade away jumper, like three, five feet away from the bucket and like bounce off of defenders and go away rather than trying to like power through them or like finish over them or even just drawing the contact himself and like forcing the ref to blow the whistle and get to the free throw line. So his ability to finish in and around traffic and in the paint, not the best, but he did grow substantially as a three-point shooter. And when he was unleashed, like when he was able to just go out there and get buckets, he looked great. So I'm going to give him a B plus. That's where I walk away from with KPJ. So I was, I'll say this before the last outburst of the season, like the crazy outburst, I would have given him a B minus. I'll explain why. But with the ridiculous outburst, I bump him up to a B, which which grades out as like average, right? This is why. I already read the numbers from the first 26 games of the season, how abysmal they were, versus the last 35 games of the season, how very surprisingly solid they were. The bad numbers were about 43% of his season. So I can't completely, it's almost half of the season. And then that in conjunction with the issues, uh, hopping in the whip at half at halftime and going home, um, had a couple other times where he was yanked from games, had the incident where uh, he, and not only did he go home from halftime, I mean, he threw some stuff and like had a whole tantrum. So like, keep that in mind. Um the, the game where he rolled his ankle and Steven Silas told him to come out and he threw another fit. 
just some of that emotional immaturity for me. Um, I, you can't brush that away. That's the reason he's on the Rockets, to be quite honest with you. It's the reason he got drafted 30th, part of the reason. It's the reason Cleveland gave him up for free. You know, Houston had a home for him because he's a reclamation project and the Rockets could afford to kind of take him in and, and try to see if they could rehab his value and revamp his talents and, and bring him to maximize himself. But we saw why. And so I cannot brush that aside. I mean, no, no objective human being can, right? Like that's a, that's a red flag. Superstars can get away with that stuff, but he wouldn't, you know, he was playing terribly and, and behaving very poorly. So for a while it was like, yo, this is not going to work out. And then he turned it around and, and he's made a lot of us believers. So credit to him. And that's why I give him a B. Um, it was a Jekyll and Hyde season. 43% of it was in the in the tank with some crazy outbursts. About 57% of it was, holy shit, you know, this is what we wanted to see. And so the shooting, the growth in shooting was incredible. I need to see him finish at the rim better, but I also need to see him start manipulating the referees and using contact. Right now he shies away from contact. He likes to finesse. You know, he kind of uses his hand to like curl around or go over the top um, instead of dipping that shoulder and then finishing off the backboard. Right. Um, so I'd like to see him do that more and not just completely settle for being a three point shooter. I mean, if he's going to shoot 40 percent for 35 games or whatever, like, hey, shoot your shots. But at the end of the day, I want him to be a three level scorer because he's capable of scoring at all three levels. So I give him a B um, because it started out pretty awful and then it ended up really awesome. So I think that averages out to a B. All right. We got two guys left here. We're down to the two forwards, the other two sophomores on the team. Uh, which direction you want to go first, KJ Martin or Jay Shantae? I'll let you steer the bus for a second. Um, let's go KJ Martin. Oh, let's go Jay Shantae because I think I think KJ Martin had a better season personally. All right, that's all you. All right, KJ Martin, I give him a B plus. Um, solid role player, energy role player, made the most of his minutes, proved that he can shoot. Shot just under thirty six percent for the course of an of an entire season. That was not a fluke. Um, I mean, has my, some of my favorite dunks in like Rockets history, possibly the best dunker in the NBA. I just love watching the kid dunk. And I'm a believer that if he was to start or get an increased role or just, yeah, I think start in Jay Sean Tate's role for the time being until the Rockets can find like a legit four. Um, but he just, when he's on the court, things change, you know, the floor spaces out better. He's able to make defenses pay better for leaving him open. Um, the energy, just like the transition play, like, you know, he, he really understands his role. And when he gets the ball, he is not trying to, like, go one-on-one -on -one and do too much. He's just trying to find whoever can make the play and then get off the ball and cut so he can finish or catch so he can so he can shoot the three. So, B-plus, I mean, his, his percentages were good. The efficiency is good. Literally had, like, an identical season statistically, almost. Not literally, but almost to last season, except he and, – and I thought he put up good stats last season for his role. Um, but he did really close to the same – in less minutes so he had a reduced role this season believe it or not um and yeah i mean if he gets a chance i think he'll really fulfill things so i i think he was above average b plus you hit the nail on the head for me and that's knows his role right and excels within his role and i think to me that's kind of the distinction here and it's gonna i mean we're gonna kind of leapfrog directly into jay shantate as our last guy here but with KJ, the the way that the, the dynamic changes on the floor is he knows exactly what he's supposed to do. He's out there to screen. He's out there to play defense. He's out there to spot up for threes. And if he has an opportunity to attack off the catch, great, he's doing it. He's not trying to do too much. And I think that's what we saw too much out of with Jay Sean Tate this season. It felt like at times Jay Sean Tate was doing too much. And 
having so that safety you, net of what's up. Uh, I, I don't know. Did you say your grade for KJ? I did not. I was going to, I was oh. going to drop it. It's actually the exact same as yours as B plus. Oh, okay, um, okay. So Sorry we're on the right same page. There. I do no. mine at the, I, I do mine at the beginning. You do yours at the end, I guess. So. I guess so. I guess I'm like, you know, justifying myself before I drop the hammer. I'm like, fail. No, anyways, uh, nobody failed this season, but with KJ, right? Like I do wonder what he would look like in a role, you know, playing like a, you know, not even just a small ball four role, right? Like give him like, I think he's got the chops to be like a legitimate wing. Like, Put him at the three. I think he can defend wings. He's hitting that three ball at a nice clip. And to me, the two areas that really stand out is one, you talked about the spacing, the three-point shooting, absolutely. But he also provides vertical spacing, something that nobody else on this Rockets roster actually gives this team. Christian Wood, sometimes, when he's actually rolling towards the, towards the rim, can be a vertical spacer for this Rockets team. and can be a, like a lob threat over the top of the defense. K.J. Martin can finish plays significantly better than the way that Jay Sean Tate can finish plays as like a as like a roll man or coming out of the short roll on the perimeter because you get KJ Martin rolling to the rim and you just loft it anywhere near the top of the rim and he's going to go up there and get it and we've seen him do that a lot this season both in transition and in the half court Jay Sean Tate it's different you got to hit him with a bounce pass you got to hit him down low or a little shovel pass off on the side and he still has a great ability to finish in and around the land of the trees like I'm not going to take that away from Jay Sean Tate but it's just different within the flow of a game having to give it to a guy and you know that he's just going to yam it through because it's a guaranteed bucket versus giving it to Jay Sean Tate. It's like, all right, now he's going to pirouette 17 times and try and finish over a seven-footer in the paint off the short roll. And, like, sometimes he finishes, right? Sometimes he shoulder dips and gets them off, and, and great, like, awesome. But it's not it's not that level of guaranteed bucket that K.J. Martin can be. So, yeah, B-plus for K.J. Martin. I think he should be in the discussion for a starter's role next season, depending on what the rest of the makeup of the team looks like. Yeah, if they don't fill the hole that they have at the four, then... um Again, not even at the four, man. Like, yeah, at the three, three, yeah, like, at the three. Because again, well, gotta... you could you could walk into next season with a starting lineup of Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green. Wow, why did I blank on? It's way too late. We got to wrap this thing up. <laughs> Jalen Green, KJ Martin, Alper, and Shingun, and then the question mark is just who's going to be the four, right? Does Christian Wood come back as the four? Do they deal him? Do they take one of Jabari, Paolo, or Chet and slot him in at the four? Like that would be a really either version of that lineup would be incredibly enticing, like legitimately. Like I wish we could have seen that lineup thrive a bit more this season. Yeah, I agree. Um, so it brings us to our last guy, Jay Sean Tate. Mm-hmm. Take it away. <sighs> Look, I love Jay Sean Tate for everything that he is. And I think I, I'm still a firm believer. Every team needs a Jay Sean Tate type, Jay Sean Tate type player. That's a mouthful um, to like, succeed at the highest level you need that that guy who can do the dirty work who can be like you know heart and soul the team whatever that pat bev that draymond green type guy pj tucker right the workhorse knows his role does his job but i feel like this season jay shante didn't really know his role i think that he did a lot at times too much right trying to do too many things and i think he was also exposed for large portions of the season because of his faulty three-point shooting he had one job in the offseason, and this was like my biggest skill for I was like, he's got to become a better shooter in the offseason. Doesn't need to be 36, 37, 38%. That's like, if you're, we're talking about like an all-star level player, if he was suddenly, you know, churning out threes at that rate on like decent volume with everything else that he brings to the table. Just be 33, 34, maybe 35% so that teams aren't sticking their opposing center on you, guarding you with Rudy Gobert where he's not even paying attention to you on the perimeter and you're being forced to chuck up shots, and the defense is like, yep, that's a win for us. If Jay Sean Tate shoots a shot, that's a win for us. And that just can't happen 
for him. And so that was a big drawback for me this season. Felt like he was incredibly tunnel vision for a lot of the season. Didn't playmake at the same level that he was last season, right? I, I was so excited about him being like a point forward type player, you know, a mini Draymond Green, if you will, kind of creating the way that he was last season. We didn't see a lot of it this season. So my lowest grade, unfortunately, goes to Jay Sean Tate with a C. My word. Um, all right. I gave him a, <clears throat> wow, a C? A C. Wow. I gave him a B. I gave him a B. So this was our largest disparity. On, this was. Or just, yeah, wow. Oh. average. You know, look, for me, B is average. And so if someone's just No, because you, you, you gave Shangun a B plus. I gave him an A plus. So that's the same distance as far as like. But this one's more like stark. and Yeah, you know. a little bit. Yeah, a little but bit. But I agree with every single thing you said, so I won't repeat it. But in addition to that, um, you know, we talk about Herb Jones, right? Jay Sean Tate's role should be like Houston's shorter version of Herb Jones, you know, yeah. all purpose defense. Herb Jones can knock down a three pointer better than Jay Sean Tate can. Um, but, and, and I think Jay Sean Tate can probably like just naturally score better than him, or at least, you know, take someone off the dribble and finish in the post or whatever. So they kind of, offset each other in certain ways. But if he, if we get to a point where Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green are given the freedom next season full-time that they were given at the end of this season, then you could really use Jay Sean Tate as like a guy off the bench that does these types of things, you know, maybe even in the starting lineup, if they have enough shooting elsewhere in the, in the starting lineup, but that's probably not going to happen. Um, and he would need to shoot like 32% or 33% to be serviceable in that role. 30% is not going to cut it. So, but he does all those things and it kind of gets to your point. If he just played his role hardcore, I think we would have all been more pleased, but it kind of speaks to what we talked about a lot. The lack of the hierarchy, Christian Wood, KPJ, Jalen Green, no one really knowing their role guys distributing shots equally for the most part. in a lot of, a lot of stretches of the season, and Jay Sean Tate was kind of probably looking around like, man, y'all ain't taking over, so I'm going to try to do my thing. Um, and it, it would have been much better if he could look to the side and say, oh, Kevin and Jalen are about to drop 25 each, so let me go out there and get 15 rebounds and you know guard everyone one through five, that kind of thing. But they didn't get that. So I give him a B. I just thought he was average. He pretty much had the same season he had last season, honestly, except he, he was more tunnel vision and more ISO. But his assist numbers, I think, are pretty similar. I don't have them. I'll, I'll pull them up. But um statistically he was very similar to last season it was just more so a, a function of like the role because last season we needed him to do some of those things right but this season we wanted to see other guys kind of take over and he just looks kind of awkward when he tries to take over yeah he played three less minutes a game um per game believe it or not scored 0.5 points more rebounded look i mean just, just look it up if, if you want to google it go to basketball reference all like all of the numbers are within you know, 0.3 or 0.4 of each other. It's kind of crazy, actually. Oh, he shot 31% from three. My bad. He also, it's worth noting, despite the three-point sh shooting struggles for the entire season, he did kind of turn it on as a three-point shooter post-All-Star break. And so I want to make sure I get those numbers right here. And he actually wound up shooting 38% from behind the arc, uh, you know, post all-star break on two and a half attempts a game really you know not not super incredible and at the same time it's unfortunate because his season three-point percentage is still like around like 30 31 percent which shows you how bad it was in the tank before the 38 percent post all-star break that it didn't actually drag it up even higher like as how bad it was pre-all-star break so 
he needs to be consistent with it though, right? He needs to be consistent across a whole season, needs to know his role. And I think that that's the big question mark with him moving forward is like, does he know his role in this team? Can they have more clearly defined like pecking order, hierarchy, whatever? And if they can, maybe he can still be the starter moving forward. Or maybe there's a better role for him off the bench where he can kind of tap into some of that ability to like get his own and like also create for others and be that point forward. Maybe he can be like the general of the second unit, like on this Rockets team, possibly, right? Like I don't think Jay Sean Tate, by any stretch of the imagination, is a bad player. I think that at times his weaknesses were stood out, you know, drastically compared to the rest of the Rockets roster and other teams took advantage of that. And by, by comparison, again, he just didn't do some of the things that really stood out and made him think, made me think, Oh wow. Like he can be a very versatile, talented player that can fit on almost any team um, based on the stuff that he was doing. So ultimately I think that Jay Shantae has to be like in the running for still having a spot on this Rockets roster, but he I don't necessarily know if he's the starting guy moving forward. Now, with that, that's going to be the end of our show. Um, and we went for almost two hours here, an hour and 40-something minutes, it looks like we're encroaching upon. And the best part in that is my guy, Roosh Williams' laptop, probably died on him, which is absolutely incredible. So... <laughs> What we're going to do is I'll wrap this thing up because Roosh's laptop died and he's probably trying to call me right now, which is absolutely hilarious. So basically, I'm going to wrap this thing up. I'm going to say thank you for checking out the show. If, you ha- if you've done so, like we appreciate it. State of the Rockets is this new thing that we're trying to do. Get it off the ground. We're having a lot of fun doing it. Uh, hopefully, you've enjoyed the discussion, the discourse between the two of us covering these collective topics. Be sure to check out everything that Roosh does. Uh, number one podcast on the Ball's Life Net- Network, the Noble and Roosh show, wherever you get your podcasts. He's going to start posting clips of that show to this very YouTube channel. Also, check out everything I do. Locked on Rockets, Locked on NBA, Clutch City Control Room. Check those out. Follow us both on Twitter at Roosh Williams at JT Gatlin. And hey, if you enjoyed the show, drop us a subscription, share the podcast with your friends and family. It is available Apple, Spotify, and on YouTube. But the YouTube stuff really helps us out. If you can hit subscribe on YouTube, we're gunning for a thousand subscriptions. We're I think about two hundred away, so we're getting really, really close. So check us out on YouTube. Like, comment, subscribe. We do read every single one of the comments under the videos. So check us out there. But as always, appreciate you for checking out the show, and we'll see you back here for our next edition of State of the Rockets, covering your Houston Rockets basketball team.